glory days will pass you by glory days in winker young girls and glory days glory days hello and welcome to comic book herald live hey everybody i'm dave busing founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. This is the first CBH Live in about a month. Hope everybody's summer is going okay. We're going to talk about a bunch of comics today. Uh, things that are going on, any questions you may have. We'll primarily focus here on the approach to the X-Men Hellfire Gala, which comes out, is it next week? I think it is next week. Let's see, next week there's an Ultimate Invasion number two and... The Hellfire Gala, which has been long awaited here in X-Men Phantom Circles. Uh, I will not be here streaming that, not because of disinterest, not because I won't have anything to say, but because I will be doing other things <laughs> for some time. But when I come back, we will, of course, do a live stream, a post-game report of Ultimate Invasion and the Hellfire Gala. But for now, we're going to talk about all the comics that I read and thought were interesting in the past few weeks. On the X-Men side of things, Heralds of Apocalypse, The Sinister Four, or Mortal X-Men number 13, and today's X-Men Red number 13. Uh, and then again, of course, any questions? I think probably we'll talk a little bit big picture, kind of where X-Men comics are, what this year's Hellfire Gala means in 2023, what we can expect from the transition from the destiny of X to the fall of X, and then if we get to it, a little personal flavor about where I'm at in the state of X-Men comics. So, get in your questions, get in your thoughts. I'll be happy to address them here. Today's CBH Live is sponsored by Big Water. Big Water is brought to you by local faucets and taps near you. Uh, this week's blend, they sent me um, a crystal light packet, and by they sent me, me and I bought at Walmart with my own money. <laughs> <laughs> no one sent it to me, and uh, it's it's a little raspberry lemonade flavor infused into the water. They're doing this now. They're doing this thing where they infuse flavors directly into the otherwise water-flavored water. You can get some of that, or you can enjoy some of your plain water yourself. All you got to do is go to comicbookherald.com slash bigwater. What will that get you? Nothing accessible. But I do recommend you go to comicbookherald.com. If we have some time at the end here, I will be pulling that up. We'll talk a little bit about the best comics of 2023 so far, uh, primarily the new editions, things that I've been excited about reading here lately. So I'm seeing chats pour in. I'm seeing people joining. Great. We started a little bit early, but it seems like people are here. Awesome. I see somebody asking, was the gala today? No, it was not. It's next week. Um, so no, we are not officially at the gala. We are still, we are still in the build up stages. Uh, Braden asks, have you ever thought about releasing a single Dave? Uh, wow. Did you all hear me singing at the beginning there? I thought I was, I thought I was still muted. I'm surprised that came through. Um, listen, I think about it daily. I think about it. Daily is too short. I think about it minutely that the world is probably not quite ready. Not quite ready for that single. Um, I think the closest I've come to releasing of CBH fandom single. Well, first off, if you listen to the My Marvelous Year podcast, there are a number, a number of recorded vocals that have been put down, including 
Has this episode been released yet? The start to 2004 part one actually opens with a, a near and dear cover in my heart. It's a little Ruben stuttered for you. That's the start of 2004 part one. Let's see, when is that? That comes out next week. Okay, so next Monday, July 24th, will be the first episode of my Marvelous Year coverage of the Marvel Comics of 2004. Uh, this is part one of our coverage. It's a great year to jump in, actually, because it's the start of, like, Avengers Disassembled and the modern era of Marvel events. Now, so you get you get the beginnings of coverage through the best, most essential Marvel comics from Origins to today, starting in 2004. You get to join Zach, Char Charlotte, and myself talking about those and discussing kind of the progression of Marvel Comics history. And most importantly, you get my coverage, my, my coverage? Yeah, my coverage and my cover of a little Ruben Stuttered verse. Okay? So check that out. That's going to be on the My Marvelous Year podcast. Highly recommend you subscribe and, uh, and get that puppy in your feeds. Uh, technically, you can get this in your podcast feeds as well. Uh, that's through the Combo Carol uh, podcast, the best comics ever podcast. Search them both. See what comes up. Subscribe. Subscribe away. Who does it hurt, right? Who does it hurt to subscribe to a thing um, podcast-wise, right? You're just going to listen to the ones you want to listen to anyway. Uh, it hurts no one. It helps me. I think, I think we can all get on board. All right. What else are we talking about? Getting your questions. Getting your thoughts. I'm going to address some questions here. Let's start with this. Krakoa has fallen. <laughs> Technically, we are not in the fall of X yet. Technically, that won't begin until after next week's Hellfire Gala. And yet, Krakoa has fallen. It's over, y'all. <laughs> it's not close, okay? Um, there's no maybe about this. There's no... Uh, oh, you know, maybe they'll they'll rearrange their government in time and they'll actually defeat Orcus. Like, everything about this is such a foregone conclusion. <laughs> and it has felt this way for some time, for sure. Uh, it has been building steadily and steadily and steadily. And, I, you know, for, from a certain perspective, I can understand how fastidiously, you could argue tediously, the blocks have been set up here, Right. For the fall of Krakoa, I think the problem now is there's not a lot of drama, okay, in what the official execution and an actual Hellfire Gala happenings are going to be in terms of what disgraces maybe the nation in the world's eyes is maybe the final step to come, but that's kind of happened behind the scenes in the pages of Mortal X-Men, where Kieran Gillen had Colossus as twisted and controlled by Russian mutant operatives, including his brother, Mikhail Rasputin, um, Colossus apparently told the world about the whole Sins of Sinister <laughs> event. Uh, Colossus, who uh, up until it was dissolved, controlled like half the council practically through just a, a comically bizarre series of events. Um, but so the whole world knows now in the Marvel Universe that... Uh, Sinister manipulated Krakoa to take over the world and the galaxy. The world is aware that their biggest fears of mutant kind having a plan against humanity to take them over and control them, that those actually came true in a reality that happened until it didn't. <laughs> There'd be so many bizarre... Man, if you lived in the Marvel Universe, can you even imagine 
trying to square these ideas in your head of like alternate realities that have occurred but have been washed away by superheroics, you know? Like like I I can barely help my kindergarten son with his math homework. Like this is too much for one mind. Um so that is out in the world, okay? How there could be any pro Krakoa sentiment after that? <laughs> feels borderline impossible. Orcus doesn't have to do much more work, right? And yet they've been needling, they've been needling, things have been happening. The point here, of course, Krakoa has fallen. Is the dream over? Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, yes. I mean, I think big picture on a macro level, the fall of X is going to be about this dark period in Krakoan history. Inevitably, there is going to be a rise. Okay, inevitably, the story is going to bounce back. That's how superhero comics <laughs> typically work. Um, but you drag characters through the mud. You drag beloved franchises through the mud before you can get to these giant satisfactory conclusions, right? And I think from the perspective probably of the X office, I think they think the mutants have been living in utopia, right? That things were about as good as they could possibly get for mutant kind. Certainly the best they've been, I mean, go back through your X-Men comics history, like of the 2000s for sure, right? But I mean, geez, like when, when was the last time things were like, like the world climate was pretty decent for mutants. <laughs> like, like it wasn't half bad. Right? How far back do we have to go? Before the legacy virus, for sure. Um, I mean, if we go into the Claremont and Byrne era, kind of maybe pre-Project Wide Awake really taking off, there's a lot of problems, obviously, and a lot of bigotry, but it's, it's not quite as out in the open. <laughs> Are those the glory days for mutant kind? They've always had it rough, right? And that's kind of the point. Uh, for mutant kind, as told in Marvel's X-Men comics, is these are tales of trauma and and bigotry and heroic characters overcoming those things and acting super heroically for all kinds in the face of that. Right? That's always what X-Men comics are in many ways. Um, the Fall of X is just another example of testing that. It's just another example of testing that. And again, I guarantee you it'll be eight to ten months, probably not even that long, actually, before we get an announcement of the next thing to come. And the next thing to come will be some form of progression through um, a rise for all mutant kind. You know, I recently, so I, I, I work in, in digital marketing, SEO primarily, for my day job, and so there's a ton of talk of AI recently, as there is in probably pretty much every industry, <laughs> right? Talk of the town this year. Um, but in, in marketing, it's it's got its own applications. So there's a lot of time I spend now sort of researching generative AI and the influence on search and kind of what this is going to mean and what it looks like and how it's going to change things. Um, and one thing I learned in the process of doing that was what is known as the trough of disillusionment, <laughs> okay? And this is a, a graph. You can Google this, trough of disillusionment. And uh, it is a graph that folks came up with to describe the hype cycle 
of things and how there is always this giant peak of possible expectations at the beginning of a hype cycle and then a big drop to the trough of disillusionment when people realize, oh, it didn't ever really live up to what I had in my head of what we thought it was going to be. But like, it's still positive, right? It's still growth. That is where X-Men comics are at. We are in the trough of disillusionment. Perhaps we've been there for quite some time, right? We had giant peaks, House of X and Powers of Ten, giant peaks of possibility. And now we are pretty firmly in the fall of X trough of disillusionment, where it's like, okay, this isn't living up. Could it bounce back again and become a very useful and applicable and generally fun X-Men thing? Yeah, of course. And there are all these signs in the Kieran Gillen written X-Men comics, in the Al Ewing written comics, of the ways that's going to happen and will continue to happen. I suspect Fall of X will have one to two additional books that will be really flipping good. We got Steve Fox, a writer I really like, doing Dark X-Men. Dennis Camp, who did 20th Century Men, one of the best books of last year, really phenomenal image comic series. If you haven't read it, highly recommend you check it out, doing this weird Children of the Vault book with Cable and Bishop. I've got very high hopes for that. You know, there'll be one to two of those books that could show up and be very, very fun. I think on average, though, I think on average, though, the X-Men line is... It suffers a malaise similar to what a lot of superhero comics suffer right now, which is there's too much breath, there's not enough depth, and the quality suffers as a result. And it will keep us in the trough of disillusionment until we get past this. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing a question pop in here. Bill asks, will you be reading Jay Jordan's mini-story in the Marvel's Voices X-Men one-shot? You had him as a guest one time. Hell yeah! Hell yeah, I'm very excited that Jay gets to write a mini-story. Listen, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If someone has taken the time to join me uh, for an interview, to join me to talk comics, I will root for them till the day I die. <laughs> okay? Um, obviously, some possible exceptions to that. But generally speaking, I will absolutely be shilling for Jay's uh, story, regardless of, of content, right? <laughs> I have high hopes that he will, he will produce something very good, and I think he's an incredibly funny individual um, who will, will find, find something smart and something clever to put in there. Uh, but, I mean, regardless, I'll be shilling it. <laughs> Unquestionably. Yeah, definitely. Definitely excited about that. Um, yeah, no, there will be, be interesting things to come. There will be. Uh, but, again... It's mostly mid. <laughs> it's mostly mid. You know what's not mid, though? Al Ewing doing Arako stuff. Kieran Gillen still messing with the council. Still messing with his Sinisters. Pouring out some, uh, pulling out some surprises in the Sinister Four. We, I thought all our Sinisters here were, you know, Mr. Sinister clones. Gillen throwing in the wrench, going back to his... Uh, John Paul Leone drawn, and what is it, Peter Milligan written, Origins of Mr. Sinister, and we've got, uh, we've got Mrs. Sinister. Not the 2000s very busty female clone, but the like original Nathaniel Essex's wife is apparently Mother Righteous, throwing that wrinkle into the mix. That was surprising. That's interesting, if you're, if you're an obsessive fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Uh, so, you know, there's been good stuff. Heralds of Apocalypse. I really like what Ewing is doing in the relate, uh, building out the relationships of really everyone on Arako for sure. Um, but it continues to be cool to see Apocalypse as this character who has evolved, actually, who has progressed through the millennia, and his wife Genesis instead taking a more literal survival of the fittest, survival of the strong approach, you know, like our, our more basic understanding of kind of who Apocalypse was, circa age of Apocalypse, like that's his wife now, taking that approach on how to, how to live and die in Arako, which we very much saw today in X-Men Red. Okay, um, so yeah, there's good stuff at the top. I'm going to be following that. Everything else, y'all have to catch me up here in the chat. Like, just let me know, okay? That's all I ask of you. It's like, listen, I can keep showing up and talking about the cream of the crop, and then just let me know if something crazy happened in X-Force. <laughs> That's all I ask. All I ask, Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, listen, the fall of X has already happened. Krakoa is already dissolved. Um, in, in Immortal X-Men number 13 last week, I mean, what happened there, right? We had Doug Ramsey basically throw the gauntlet down and say, this government is completely effed, which clearly it was. <laughs> like, like, unquestionably was not working. Again, Colossus had like half the council votes. Four of the 12 could not be, four of the 12 individuals who had votes could not vote because of worries of sinister tampering. Like, it was a mess. So Gillen quickly got out of that, which was smart. Um, and they basically like, okay, we need a new form of government. So the, the central quiet council approach to governing the quote-unquote utopia of Krakoa is dismantled. And apparently that is one of the possible signs that Krakoa needs to protect little Doug boy deep inside his belly, um, a la protective mother kangaroo. So Doug is, Doug is now in some version of the pit being held safe from Krakoa's sensing of imminent danger due to this. Okay. Uh, what else big happened there? Um, no, probably something, probably something, don't you think? Uh, but that was the biggest thing for sure. And it's like, okay, so I, the big thing I think Gillen is examining in this 13th issue, which I think he said is the, it's either the end of year one or, or like the end of season one or the start of season two or something like that. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's looking at this idea of Krakoan utopia and, and kind of recognizing how flipping impossible that is. You know, how, um, how they're just like the mere attempt to create utopia makes it impossible, <laughs> which sucks, right? Like we're just like the history of the world, right? History of civilization is just constant attempts to figure out utopia and then just recognizing like, oh man, no, this, this is really hard. <laughs> no wonder nobody got it right so far. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, Krakoa has fallen. Krakoa has dissolved. Uh, Orcus will continue to push that. Mutants will be scattered everywhere. And that'll be the fall of X. Again, I will be keeping up with X-Men Red. I will be keeping up with the mortal X-Men. I will dip my toes into those series I mentioned to see how they're doing. But otherwise, it is up to you, dear listener, to tell me in the chat if anything is really 
really worth my time. Worth all of our time, I think, you know. Uh, so let's see. What else happened? What else happened? You know a huge reason X-Men Red is so far and away my favorite book right now? It's the only, it's the only uh, Marvel or DC title I have on my best ofs, actually. I think that's true. If we go to Comic Book Herald's Best Comics of 2023, pretty sure that it's going to be all the way at the bottom here. But I think X-Men Red is the only superhero book. Don't worry, I'll scroll through this more slowly at a, a later point. Yeah. Yeah, it's the only superhero book I've got on my faves of the year. Um, and the reason, a huge reason, is it's it's the closest an X-Men book can get to a genuinely new cast of characters. And a version of like a mini creator-owned work for Mewing. I mean, Araco is that play space, you know, where a creator can come in and say, I've got all these new individuals, I've got all these new power sets, I've got a civilization functioning completely differently with this mythological, fantastical mythology, mythological mythology. There's a, <laughs> there's an astute phrase for you, history that it's been through, per the pages of, of Ten of Swords and all the Hickman House and Power stuff that kind of set that up. You know, there's so much cool stuff that you can do with Rocco, and Al Ewing is doing it. It's about the closest you can get to, like, a non-X-Men book in an X-Men book, but then, you know, he's selective with what and who he includes from the Marvel Universe side of things. Um, You know, Storm. A little bit of Doctor Doom. Sunspot. You know, mixing these elements in, but not overplaying them. So it feels like its own thing. And it doesn't feel as trapped or as tied to the trough of disillusionment that the Krakoa era itself is a little bit trapped in. You know, Pepto, Pepto here in the chat says, Ewing's best creator owned. And, and they appear to be joking, hence the lol. But I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. Um, we only find them with their dead felt like a book that I should have loved that I don't. I like X-Men Red a lot more, you know, and it is, it's kind of that perfect blend of Ewing getting to do creator own type ideas, but also working in the thing that they're best at in the Marvel universe, which is extensive use of, of just like a real love and appreciation and just understanding of the ways continuity matters or can boost a story, you know? And I've talked about this before, but you have a lot of creators throughout comics history, Kurt Busiak, Mark Wade come to mind, who are very uh, uh, well-versed, <laughs> right, in their comics lore, grew up on 70s Avengers, that sort of thing, but can be overcommitted to continuity baseball, right? Can be overcommitted to reference porn the most boring kind of porn <laughs> ewing understands how continuity can be used as a tool and not just as nerd cred and not just as nostalgic fandom it's always a boost it's always a benefit i love that about those books um it's a, it's a truly truly hard thing to pull off truly truly hard thing to pull off and it's happening in x-men red uh, so again, here's where we are. 
going into the Hellfire Gala. I think, you know, one thing we can take stock of, I didn't write the stuff down, but, you know, just as far as, like, where are we in this journey, like, what has happened, I mean, we can kind of talk through maybe some of those elements. Um, let's see, we got a, a super chat here from Jesse Smith. Thanks thanks so much for supporting CBH. It says, I noticed that Storm decided to join this meeting instead of using her proxy. Well, I think, I think Storm, oh, are we talking about in, in Immortal? Maybe was she actually present for Immortal? She was, because um, yeah, I think you know she was setting up the proxy for Immortal. It made me wonder. Uh, I that's a good point. I didn't really think about that because Storm's like basically. I think in Immortal Twelve, when whenever she gives her vote to Colossus, is like, listen, I am so busy on Araco. <laughs> there are so many things to do. It is ridiculous that I am serving on both these committees. Um, you know, so, so hence she gives her vote to Colossus. Uh, I don't know if it's articulated somewhere. Maybe somebody here in the chat can say, but my thinking on that would be after witnessing Colossus's decision, I mean, basically to unilaterally reveal to the world that the sins of Sinister happened, I too would start attending meetings, <laughs> right? I would start showing up as well because some very, very bad decisions were made that are clearly, clearly going to have a negative influence. On, on all things mute kind. Um, so that would be my guess there. But but thank you very much for the support on that one. I think that was super useful. Uh, okay, where are we going with this? Okay, where are we at? Where are we at in the build to the Hellfire Gala? What do we know about what is to come? Um, what's important to remember, etc., etc., etc. Okay, the ways... Krakoa has been dismantled. They've dismantled their government themselves, primarily, right, with some manipulation of Colossus, right, by the Russian forces. So we have we have that having influence now. The world knows the sins of Sinister happened. So expect that to come up at the Hellfire Gala. I don't know how it's not an awkward gala. I mean, the previous galas have been pretty celebratory. You know, mutants are very much in control. Um, I think after an awareness of, oh, hey, y'all barely escaped a reality where Sinister took over everything, relations might be different. You know, relationships might be might be strained. Uh, it does also raise the question. So Emma has a, Emma Frost has a concern at when when Karen Gillan has the Quiet Council talking about Colossus revealing this information, and she's like, we are reliant on trading of goods. And if no one trusts us anymore, they won't buy our medicines. I bought this in the moment, but then I was thinking about it and it's like, isn't it kind of Krakoa's thing that it's like a self-sustaining utopia? Like it makes its own food and, you know, they have as much like housing as they need. <laughs> nobody works and everybody lives for free and drinks free stuff in the Green Lagoon. Like, do they actually need the money? I mean, I think it it can negatively impact them in terms of power, right? Money is power. And if, if the Krakoan medicines are not highly sought after or valued, Krakoan influence diminishes for sure. You know, so I buy that part of it. But the idea that they're like, instantly in trouble. I don't know. That feels maybe a little strained. Like that's their, that's their primary export, but they're 
they're a little unique in the sense, like, couldn't they go more of a Wakandan route of isolation if the primary export was cut off? You know? I, I feel like there's other options. But it, kind of a nitpick. Kind of a nitpick. And, and again, it's it's one of those things, too, where it's like, all right, like, it's it's been four years since this thing lost, or since this thing launched, like, kind of doesn't matter a ton <laughs> that it connects super specifically anymore. You know, memories aren't generally that long. Um, let's see, we got a super chat here from Nobody Except Me. He says, all in all, X-Men comics have been fun for a long time, and the idea that stuff is still paying off from Ten of Swords is amazing. It's been a great run. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is definitely, like, I, I enjoy Ten of Swords, I think, more than some, I think, I think the, the big issues, the main issues were really pretty fantastic actually. Um, but the coolest thing I, I do think that came out of that was just like the potential of Arako. I mean, I think that was a great additive move on the X-Men side of things. And yeah, like that is, that has absolutely launched X-Men Red into the most interesting book week in, week out. So I totally agree. Um, I think it's the coolest, I mean, it's probably, you know, if you were going to do a list of, like, the coolest additions to the X-Men mythos from this era, what would be the picks? You know, the single coolest additions. Um, obviously, just Krakoa as a whole is in the conversation. <laughs> Probably starts and ends the conversation. Uh, Orcus. You have, I guess you could, if you're really into them, <laughs> I wouldn't put them that high. Arako for me, is super high on the list of just a purely new addition, a thing that did not exist in the Marvel Universe and now does, and now we get stories about those. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, for me, it's very high on the list. I, it, I mean, ultimately, I think, like, how could you put... And then I guess also you have, like, all the cosmic powers of 10 stuff, like Dominion's and Hickman's sort of delineation of what to call cosmic entities and all that. That that still has a very special place in my heart, for sure. Um, I think that's probably cooler than Arako, but more better stories have been done with the addition of Arako than with all that cosmic stuff. It's a harder thing to work with, probably. Uh, let's see, we got some other suggestions for just the coolest additions. Pepto says, Mars, no doubt. Uh, kind of ties into Arako, but I guess not entirely, right? So just the idea that mutants could terraform a planet and claim it as the capital of the soul system. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that rules. I mean, that's kind of, it is too, like, I would say that is Jerry Duggan's best moment, is writing that Hellfire Gala issue with Pepe Larraz. Um, it sets a, a standard for Hellfire Galas that has not been met and maybe can't be met, you know, again, uh, but definitely a, a very, very memorable moment. Uh, Jesse says Moira being a mutant. Um, it it was until it wasn't. I guess is the thing, right? Like if we weren't in the dark with Moira, I feel like that's already been washed away. I guess is the thing. Like I think the coolness of that edition has already been negated by the absolute, like like the way it was botched. You know, um, let's see. John Ironfire, I'm seeing being such a cool new character, cool new, but that, that fits into a Rocco as well. The reason you get a John Ironfire 
is, is because you have the playground of Arakum and all those new mutants. You know, that's, that's how you get there. Um, okay, so what else do we need to know going into this Hellfire Gala? Um, so all basically, Orcus at this point, if there's been a villain, if there's been a schemer or a group or an organization working against mutant kind, they are now allied with Orcus, it seems. Um, you've got that UK Prime Minister and Coven Akaba stuff from, or I don't know if it's a Prime Minister, but some sort of politician in the UK. Could not tell you how their government works. Please don't ask. Um, <laughs> you have them from the pages of the Teeny Howard Excalibur stuff. They're working with, uh, with Orcus. I guess they're, they're kind of needling Genesis, of all people, too, to go and, and declare this war of sorts on the planet of Rocco. Um, obviously, you've got all the people from the Duggan X-Men run. So you've got MODOK and, of course, Nimrod and Omega Sentinel still in the background. We've got Evil Robot Moira playing on Orca's team. You've got, of the Sinisters, you've got the human Sinister uh, very much on Orca's side. And then you've got Mother Righteous from primarily from the Cy Spurrier-written Legion of X stuff um, lingering as... Maybe like one of the biggest threats, definitely one of the most powerful, which is all these magical resources and seemingly a lot of mutants in her pocket. Um, she's lingering. There's probably others that I'm forgetting as well. But like, basically, if you've read any of these books up to this point, anybody who seemed like a threat is probably now a part of Orcus. And if you haven't, like all you kind of need to know is Orcus is this anti-mutant organization. And they've been working not purely in the superhero violence scale of, like, we're going to fight the mutants and defeat them, but on a massive political scale, right? So they're in societal and cultural and sort of all of the ways one can wage warfare. So they're trying to convince large swaths of humanity that they are there to save them, that mutants are there to destroy them, and that Krakoa is a blight because otherwise their fear is that humanity will get wiped out in favor of a mutant-dominated world, right? Um, so, you know, Orcus are the big bads, and finally they're getting their day somehow, you know, and I think that the challenge of Hellfire Gala next week is going to be, okay, we know we know that they've got Krakoa on their heels. We know Krakoa is dissolved. We know that mutants are going to lose to Orcus. The challenge will be, how do you convincingly set the stage so that a world at large is like, hell yeah, Orcus, <laughs> right? How do you convincingly pull that off? Um, and we've already seen, like in the free comic book day from earlier this year, part of that is going to be, and apologies for using this term, <laughs> but I don't know what else to call it, like a false flag operation, of an Orcus agent who's masquerading as Captain Krakoa, which, yeah, the, the idea that Captain Krakoa really caught on and a lot of people identify with that as a, like, that is the symbol of, of mutant kind it does not feel earned to me, but besides the point. Um, so we got, like, our, our mystery masquerader, Captain Krakoa. A lot of theories are like, oh, it's probably U.S. agent, John Walker. It's probably, um, who's the other guy? Uh, General Thaddeus Ross, maybe. You got options. You got options. But they're they're going to commit some sort of terrible act in the White House, and then Orcus is going to use that to say, 
Look at all these bad things mutants have done. Look at what they've done. Um, but yeah, okay, it's coming. I don't know. I can't, I definitely, I can't get overexcited about it. Um, my, my biggest hope is to be really surprised. That's my biggest hope, is to be really surprised by what happens in the Hellfire Gala. Uh, so hopefully we can get there. All right, I'm going to take a sip from our sponsors. Again, our sponsor today by Big Water. Uh, get in your questions, get in your thoughts here. I will address as many of them. Banksy asks, is Orbis Stellaris working with both Mother Righteous and Dr. Stasis against each other behind their backs? Well, so Orbis Stellaris is the old cosmic sinister clone. Um, we know that they are working at least a little bit with Dr. Stasis because we saw them connect at the end of the Sinister Four. It would not be surprising if they were also working with Mother Righteous. <sighs> Orbis Stellaris feels like, I don't, I don't know, like who, who would you vote for as the favorite right now? for the Sinister who achieved Dominion. Because that was one of the other interesting things from the Sinister Four. So at the end of Sins of Sinister, Mr. Sinister, the one we've known throughout this X-Men run, um, he tries to ascend to Dominion status, which is this, you know, godlike cosmic position outside of space and time. And he gets there only to find that it's already been occupied. Someone already got there first. And the the symbology of it, it was red. It you know looked like kind of that red diamond shape. I was thinking, does that mean it's definitely a sinister? But I don't think there was any guarantee. There was still the possibility of like, well, it could be a Moira or it could be some other player that we haven't considered yet. It was referenced, I think, in the Sinister Four. I think when Mother Righteous and Dr. Stasis talk about it, they say, one of us already got there. So... It's possible that they're just making an assumption, but it's also possible that that is Gillen confirming that, yes, the Dominion is one of these four Sinisters. So who's the favorite? Is it Orvis Stellaris? Is it Mother Righteous? It's not Dr. Stasis. It's not the favorite. Um, I'd be surprised if it's them. Is it actually the Mr. Sinister? And he thinks he can't get there, but actually it's a version of himself already got there. That kind of feels like the best play, frankly. But I'm curious what y'all think there. Like who, and, but, and you know, and then I, that's one of those things too that actually has me really engaged and interested because it's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, what does that mean for these stories, for these comics? If a sinister is, has been there as a dominion this whole time, what does that do? How does that manifest in story? I have no idea. I'm really curious to see what that could possibly do. Okay. Uh, let's see, Chad says, Dominion equals Nathaniel Essex, the OG. Not his words, those are mine saying the OG there. But uh, none of the four make it, it's actually the original. That's cool. That would be fun. So it's none of the clones, it's actually somehow the original Nathaniel Essex. I don't know how you pull that off, but that'd be super cool. <laughs> that I would dig. Uh, let's see. Banksy says, I think it might be Stasis. I feel like Stasis is the dark horse, for sure. I mean, probably the, the most boring of the bunch as the more typical human supervillain, I think. Um, let's see. Sir Deasy says, it's a time display sinister genes from Xavier, Exodus, Emma, and Hope. Okay. Okay. So from the Age of Sins of Sinister... 
That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly any of the answers feel mildly surprising, and and like a like a difficult thing to pull off. I'd be, it would be curious to get the private behind the scenes answer, you know, from a Kieran Gillen ahead of time and be like, do you actually have this mapped out? <laughs> like, do you know, or is that a clue you've set yourself up to figure out later, just to know if it's one of those? That would be that would be interesting. Christoph asks, could there be several dominions? Flippin' fantastic question. Don't I feel like yes, but I don't understand how that works. <laughs> Even a little bit. That's definitely one of those cosmic things I would love to see explored in very specific details. Um, Bill mentions here the release date for Gods is now October. Um, Gods being the the acronym of the new Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Shitty book. Uh, or no, Valerio Skeedy, I think it is. Um, maybe maybe Hickman gets back into the the Dominion game in that work because you wouldn't have to touch on the X Men stuff necessarily to also be talking that Cosmic Pantheon language. So that could get us some answers, which I think could be pretty cool. Um, let's see any other suggestions here. Thank you, Base God. So Stasis is the one most people have pegged as a sleeper pick. Xavier asks, how does being a Dominion change a Sinister? That's definitely an interesting question. World of God asks, Dominion could be the mutant inside of the vault. Okay. We got options. We got options. I want to see this explored. I would love to see answers and, and developments on that front. Um, okay. What are the questions you got? What are the thoughts? Otherwise, I'm going to talk through some best comics of the month over on CBH. Is the Sinister Dominion the trickster? Remember the trickster? It's a question from Kyle Smaley. So that was at the end of Inferno, the Hickman joint in, what was that, 2021? Jeez, wow, is that right? Um, <laughs> there's this trickster titan in the Omega Sentinel story. Remember the Omega Sentinel? haven't seen her do anything <laughs> in years. Uh, yeah, okay. We got options. We got we got long brewing options. How these things come together could be interesting. All right, let's see. What other questions we got here? James points out, Old Man Cable should know what Orcus is planning, but also know that his attention is better served at stopping the children of the vault. These are good points. These are, or even like Destiny who, you know, is having some, having some troubles lately with the old precog game. I mean, surely could see more clearly what Orcus is doing. <laughs> Blindfolder out now, too? How are we going to have more insight on this? Feels like we could have some answers from some of these precognizant time-traveling mutants. Bishop doesn't have any thoughts on the matter? Apparently not. Apparently not. Nobody's seeing Orcus coming. Don't totally know how that works. Uh, I think the way it works is that you don't think about it. <laughs> and then it works just fine. That does remind me, so in Immortal X-Men number 13, there was another interesting thing, which Destiny has a moment after the vote to dissolve the Quiet Council where she's like, she's like, all I can see now is a blinding white flash or something to that effect, which definitely that is, that gets the old theory wheel churning. Um, the last time we saw a blinding white flash was when we thought Moira was killed by Mystique and Destiny, and we thought for a moment 
that reality was going to be reset in Inferno in that fake out. You get the big white, the death of Moira X thing. Okay, so could that be the blinding white flash? That Destiny can't see beyond a reality reset? The other option there, potentially, is something to do with the Phoenix and Phoenix of the White Crown. Um, just because that's cool. <laughs> Phoenix of the White Crown stuff has never made a lick of sense, uh, but it's just cool as hell. It's one of those Morrisonisms from their new X-Men run. It's the very end of things. The last issue is, hey, if you're following along in the Mime Rolfs podcast, you would know this. Um, it's from issues 151 to 154, Here Comes Tomorrow. And Jean, as Phoenix, ascends to the Phoenix of the White Crown, which seemingly is like kind of like the highest ascendancy of a Phoenix. But there's also a thing in that arc that I'd completely forgotten, where there's like a Green Lantern Corps-style Phoenix Corps that Morrison and uh, Mark Silvestri set up, which I don't know that anything has ever been done with that. <laughs> That's just sitting out there. Uh, so we could do some... Some Phoenix stuff that hasn't actually been done before, as opposed to the the cycles of genes, resurrection, and death, and all that stuff, right? I think that's definitely very played out. Um, we have our Dark Phoenix saga, we're good, but there is Phoenixy stuff you could get into on a much bigger level, which I think uh, would be very interesting, actually. How did I get going there? I don't even remember. Was there a question to begin with? Probably. There usually is. Let's see. What do we got? The Lowly Tarnished asks, question, where is Annihilation's Twilight Blade now that Genesis has the white sword? Uh, wasn't, I think the blade was destroyed by Apocalypse and then reformed as a, the staff that Annihilation now carries? Does that sound right? Could be. You know, my question remains is how how has that Twilight Blade never been synchronized with the Twilight Sword of Surtur and Asgard and Thor and Simonson. <laughs> were those dots never connected? Okay, what else do we got? Do you get the impression from Gillen that he is saying the Sinister Stasis had a role in the creation of Spidey and Cap? Oh, okay. So in the Four Sinisters, uh, while Stasis and Mother Righteous are having this conversation, there's a question of like, what have you been doing for the last 150 years? And uh, a bit cheekily, Gillen moves through, you know, kind of a history of Marvel Comics, the suggestion that Stasis was, much like Mr. Sinister, is kind of found and has been found historically in all these, uh, you know, he's, he's found in, like, you know, World War II, you know, and then, like, Nazi Germany and, like, all these historical situations where mad scientists would be employed type things, right? You have that with Dr. Stasis, but it's the, the spider biting Peter Parker. Um, and the creation of the super soldier with Cap. It's like Dr. Stasis was in the room where it happened kind of thing. Uh, so, yes. I mean, I, I think that's what he's saying. I, I think it's more of a joke than, and than meant to have any meaning. You know, I definitely didn't interpret that as like, oh, Cap and Spidey are tainted by Dr. Stasis and that he can pull a trigger at some time. Although, given this character, I mean, that's a thing you could do. I don't think that's the intent, but I, I do think... That is the thing you could do. <coughs> Let's see. Thank you, Base God says, because of this podcast, I was spurred to ask the X-Men panel at Megacon whether the Trickster Titan would come back, and Ben Percy assured me it would. Okay. Confirmation, you're hearing it here first. And I say thank you, Based God, that the Trickster Titan is coming back. 
Warren says, I'm talking crazy, but what if the Dominion's actually beast? Yeah, it's in play. It's in play. Let's see, what other questions do we have? Um, Banksy asks, are you going to read Immortal Thor by Ewing? Yeah, at some point. At some point, for sure. I'll probably wait till like, an arc is out and then do uh, a big read. Um, I hope it lives up to the hype that he set for it, which is better than Immortal Hulk. <laughs> definitely, you know, which is the way you got to talk about your stuff. But, like, man, that's a, that's a high bar. But, yeah, definitely I'm going to check that out. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, big drink. A few more questions. Let's do it. Xavier asks, will mutants have enough time to destroy the world, or will Hickman be quicker? Is that an ultimate invasion reference? A gods reference? I don't know. Who knows where Hickman's going to destroy the world? Who knows? Drop Combo asks, given the feel of this podcast, do you have any intention of covering new mutant Miss Marvel? Um, so the, the main takeaway that I... So there was an announcement... Uh, earlier, no, last week, um, that, so, confirmed that there's going to be a new book where Miss Marvel returns as a mutant. Uh, it's called The New Mutant, Miss Marvel. It's going to be written or co-written by the actress who plays Miss Marvel in the MCU. That was the biggest surprise to me. <laughs> like, that was more, definitely more MCU synergy than I was anticipating. Um, but otherwise, I didn't have any major reaction to that because, you know, as, I mean, we talked about this when it happened. When the death of Kamala was announced, like, I was, that day, was on here saying, you know, she's going to be resurrected as a mutant, right? So that, there was no surprise in that drop. Um, it was kind of a foregone conclusion. And I've said my piece here, certainly, about, I don't have a problem at all with the MCU synergy, with making Kamala part mutant, and going that narrative route. Uh, all of my problems stem from the execution of her death of as a background character in the pages of Spider-Man. You know, I thought, I thought that whole scene sucked. Uh, but I mean, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I guess I'll be looking at the issue probably, you know, I don't know that I'll be covering it in tremendous detail. Although I do suspect like, all right, if Marvel's going to do this, you know, how are they integrating it? How are they trying to pull this off? And, and is it successful? I mean, I think that'll be interesting to me, right? Like, if you recast Miss Marvel as part of the X-Men narrative, what does that look like? How do you do that successfully? That's a big challenge, you know? Um, in, in no small part because X-Men fans are very protective of their stuff, <laughs> right? And, uh, and having a character kind of recast in their world, I think is just inherently kind of irksome to a lot of types of fans. Um, I'm not, again, bothered by it, but it is one of those things where it's like, what is this ad for both the X-Men and for Kamala? You know, why does this situation make sense? Aside from MCU synergy, which I think is the most cynical way some of these things can get integrated and definitely, it's not like it's a secret to fandom. Right, it's not like they're sneaking it by us that Kamala's MCU show has has them drop a mutant nod in the X Men '97 theme, and then uh, and then suddenly she's going to be mutant in the comics. Right, <laughs> like it's not sneaky. Um, so yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see how it gets pulled off, and then depending on that, I'll make a decision as to whether or not I'm going to read any more. 
Um, Wanda asks, Dave, do you think that Ultimate X-Men is coming back? <coughs> Excuse me, as a line of comics. I've read a few things and actually enjoyed it. That is an interesting question, certainly, given Ultimate Invasion's promise to sort of relaunch some form of Ultimate Comics. Uh, I don't think the answer to however Ultimate Invasion manifests is going to be a relaunch or a renewal of any existing Ultimate Universe stuff. Like, I don't think you're going to get, you know, an, an extension or a continuation of the continuity from Ultimate Spider-Man or Ultimate X-Men. Um, I, I mean, it's... I don't know. I think a lot of folks view the Ultimate Universe with rose-colored glasses, including myself in some ways. But, like, by the time you hit 2015, Secret Wars was the best thing that could happen <laughs> to ending the Ultimate Comics line. Like, it needed to happen. Uh, now, I think the follow-up there is, okay, fine, but could there be just a new Ultimate X-Men totally reimagining a world of X-Men in the year of 2023? or 2024, or whenever these books come out, that feels in play. That does, you know. So could could the result of Ultimate Invasion be all-new Ultimate Spider-Man number one, all-new Ultimate X-Men number one, you know, relaunched in a new universe with new rules and new characters and new creators taking over? I don't see why not. And I've always argued that relaunching the Ultimate Universe is a thing that Marvel should be doing every decade. You know, there's no good reason to me, to my mind, that you wouldn't try to have a modern, new reader-friendly version of your universe every decade, basically. And I mean, you could make a case for being even less than a decade. Um, Fifteen years was too long, actually. Ultimatum happened seven years in, so you can make a strong case that it should stop at seven. (laughs) Right? Uh, but yeah, that could be where it goes. I mean, I'm still, it doesn't feel like it based on Ultimate Invasion number one, but my hope was that it would just set the stage for kind of infinite multiverse stories a la DC's Black Label, where you could just have a cool kind of carefully curated line of creators doing their, their, whatever story they want to do, but calling it, you know, this is the ultimate blank in the multiverse. Uh, that feels unlikely. I, I think what you're describing, a new Ultimate X-Men actually feels probably the most in line with the kind of the, the most traditional thing Marvel would do. Okay. Kyle Smaley asks, were the Destiny's prophecies already discussed? I think so. I think we did it. I think we talked about those. Uh, what else? What else? Xavier says, you're looking too far, Dave. They just wanted an excuse to set her powers to TV. <clears throat> this must be in relation to uh, Kamala. Um... The thing about that, that may be true. Okay, first of all, right? I don't know. I don't have any behind-the-scenes info here. The thing about that, though, is MCU Synergy isn't or hasn't been historically actually that well integrated (laughs) and certainly not that ham-fisted, you know? Like, yes, like, looks and feels and kind of attitudes of characters have gradually shifted, you know? Like, certainly most notably in Iron Man. You know, there's been a Robert Downey Jr.-fication of Tony Stark in comics for the last 15 years, but it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't immediate, you know, it wasn't super ham-fisted. Um, this one feels, 
I don't know. It feels like one of the bigger ones. And it, yes, it's like, set, like expect the worst <laughs> in this situation. Like the death of Kamala was, and I talked about this at the time, like I, I cannot actually list worst death of scenarios for characters in the Marvel universe. I went through the whole list. It was hor- I actually think it's kind of underrated how badly that was handled, which might seem crazy to say because obviously a lot of folks got hot and bothered about it for a lot of good reasons. Um, but just like one of the biggest messes I've ever witnessed live as it was happening in a Marvel comic. Truly. You know, which, which means of the last 12 years, basically, that I've been paying attention as it's happening. So expect... expect very little. <laughs> and hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised if it's decent. Uh, Neurotic Mancer says, dropping in to say, please upload this afterwards because I can't watch it right now. So the way that that works, to my understanding, is the second a live stream is done, you should be able to just like rewind and watch the live stream on the channel. Um, so there's going to be the published videos and then there's going to be the live videos and then the podcast version will go up probably Friday morning, typically. Uh, so that you'll have that option as well. But yeah, if you ever have a problem like finding something, just I'm available. Uh, I don't know. I'm not on Twitter that much anymore. Um, just, you know, chat me in the video and I'll, I'll do something. Okay. Final questions. Final thoughts. Oh, thank you. Handful of people saying that they missed me. Uh, big warm hugs. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, it's like, it's good to to be back. I've been excited all day to, to talk comics a little bit. Um, again, I, I really actually would love to be here next week to talk Ultimate Invasion and Hellfire Gala. I think that's going to be a really exciting week of comics. Unfortunately, it's just not going to work out. But I will be back definitely uh, whenever I get back in a, a few weeks from now and talk about all of what has happened. Hopefully some big, surprising, exciting things. You know? Hopefully some wild stuff. So, okay. Let's do... Uh, get in any final questions you got, if you got them. I appreciate the support. Uh, otherwise, let's do a quick... What's Dave been reading? Okay. We're going to start right here. New additions to the best comics of 2023. The only curated live list of the best comics of 23 worth its salt being published right now the oddly pedestrian life of christopher chaos first issue came out uh, just a few weeks ago officially in print it has otherwise come out via Substack. this is a, a james tiny and the fourth uh idea but it's written primarily by tape rumble we got isaac goodhart Kurt michael russell arita bitaker working on this one this book rules this book is so good I highly recommend you check out this print comic. Again, if you like James Tiny and stuff, uh, Something is Killing the Children, uh, you know, Chief Among Them, it follows a bit in that vein. Uh, but it's kind of like just this oddball, queer teen superhero story with like a lot of supernatural on the side. Um, it's It's got werewolves, Frankenstein, you know, mythological stuff. Uh, great, great first three issues. The first one is out in print right now. I definitely recommend checking out The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos. I think for superhero fans, it's an easy transition. Uh, my favorite read recently was called Impossible People, a completely average recovery story. This is written by Julia Wirtz. 
It is a uh, pretty big, you know, 300 plus page memoir about Wirtz's, it's autobiographical. Uh, it's about Wirtz's alcoholism. It is so good. It is so good. It is not wallowing in the trauma and challenges of recovery the way that I kind of have grown to expect addiction and recovery stories to kind of, you know, deal with, right? You know, think about a lot of like celebrity biopics and that sort of thing. Like it's not that tone. It's not that vein at all. It is so flippin' funny. It is one of the funniest comics I've read uh, this year. And it's really just beautiful. Fantastic, fantastic read. Uh, if you like non-superhero stuff, um, if you like laughing, if you like good things, <laughs> check out Impossible People, a completely average recovery story. And then this one, for my lit nerds in the crowd, Bay Wolf. All right? This thing got me to write a poem. Look at that. Unbelievable. It's written by Zach Wienersmith. We got Belay's art on this. Uh, it's a it's a reinterpretation of the epic poem Beowulf, where all the characters are little kids. Grendel is an adult who doesn't like little kids, and it is so smart and so good. <laughs> it is crazy. The whole thing is written in you know verse, so you can oh no that doesn't work. Um, you know so it's it's all poetry, but like. Wienersmith incorporates so much comedy into this, um, so much humor. It is not tedious the way, you know, poetry can sometimes feel. Uh, it is delightful. It is actually not great, I would say, with kids, for me at least, at least with my kids. My kids are pretty young, uh, and it's it's pretty advanced, I think, in terms of kind of just the way it's written and, uh, um, you know, the language. But, uh, you know, if you're, if you're approaching junior high-ish, best possible way to consume Beowulf, uh, highly highly recommend checking out Bay Wolf. I mean, it is, it's, it's all ages in terms of the way it's written. I just, it's definitely not like for younger readers per se. Well, you could probably read it to your kids. I don't know. Your kids are probably smarter than I am. What do I know? And then of course we move on to the list. You can check this out uh, over at CBH on the best comics of 2023. Got a whole big list right here. Again, of all the best of the year. Super proud of this list. Like it is, listen, it's literally better than anything else out there. The other thing I added to the site if you go to Comic Heralds, I did add an easy subscribe for the newsletter. Uh, I'm writing columns every week. I've been pretty good about this, reading recommendations, all that stuff. Um, you can sign up uh, right here. Go to Comic Heralds anywhere. It's like a little widget you can sign up with. All right. Any final questions before we wrap? Let's see what we've got here. Let's see. Thank you, Base God's calling for a blurred collab. Blurred without fear collab for the post-gala episode. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um... Oh, Bill says, did you know Juggernaut was the winner of the last member public vote? No, <laughs> I hadn't. Uh, I, I totally missed that. Um, I think that was my prediction. I'm, I'm pretty sure my prediction was the one character who was a meme was going to win this year's X-Men vote. So shouts to Jugs for getting in there. Uh, again, Duggan has written Juggernaut in the pages of Savage Avengers, and that's definitely a good fit. For that creator, I think. So, all right, let's wrap it there. Congratulations to Juggernaut. Way to be the non-mutant X-Men vote winner. I'm sure everyone's real happy for him <laughs> in the fandom. Otherwise, thanks so much for all you all joining. Really appreciate it. Again, I'll be back in, not next week, not the following, but the following following. 
What does that mean? Who knows? L subscribe to the channel. I'll post this thing ahead of time. I'll add a note. Um, listen, it's going to be the second week of August. That's when I'll be back, and we'll talk about everything. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Enjoy the comics.